The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. All of the old structures and routines are gone. Yep. The, you know, there's this this oft quoted line from from Annie Dillard from her book The Writing Life um, about how a schedule is like scaffolding for the day, and just as a, a painter can stand on the scaffolding and work with with both hands um, and, and you know make the most of that time, when we have a schedule for ourselves and we have a structure that becomes scaffolding that we can stand on and we can work. We're free to focus. We're free to really make the most of that work that we're doing. And so um, when that, that scaffolding has been taken away from us, it's been knocked down. Um, this is actually a really cool opportunity to put up our own scaffolding. Grading scribes, you've tuned in to the writer files. And I am still your humble host, Kelton Reed, sending you well wishes and safe passage during this time of high global anxiety. This week, New York Times bestselling author and productivity expert John Zaratsky made time to chat with me about his mission to help you improve your focus, find greater meaning in your work, and get more out of each day. John studied journalism in college and spent over 15 years as a designer for tech companies like YouTube and Google. He was Google Ventures in-house copywriter, editor, and content strategist. At Google Ventures, he helped to develop the design sprint process and worked with close to 200 startups, including Uber, Slack, 23andMe, and Nest. One direct result was his best-selling book, Sprint, How to Solve Big Problems and Test New Ideas in Just Five Days, co-authored with fellow time dork Jake Knapp but they're by no means run-of-the-mill productivity experts, as you'll soon hear. Their latest collaboration is Make Time, How to Focus on What Matters Every Day, a book described by best-selling author of The Power of Habit, Charles Duhigg, as a charming manifesto and do-it-yourself guide to building smart habits that stick. If you want to achieve more without going nuts, read this book. That seems only fitting at a time when many of us are working from home, experiencing cabin fever, or worse, and questioning the future of work itself, i.e. going nuts. And in this file, Jay-Z, no, not that Jay-Z, and I discussed why your smartphone saps your energy, focus, and attention, the origins of the distraction-free mindset, how to rethink your definition of time, 
why now is the best time to write that novel, sustainable ways to tune out during a pandemic, why storytelling is still the universal solvent, and the importance of recharging. Stay safe out there. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. All right, we are back on The Writer Files and I am honored today to be joined by the productivity expert and author, John Zaratsky, thanks for taking time today to uh, wrap with us, man. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Well, you are obviously no stranger to the audio game. We were talking a little bit earlier about your uh, prowess with the uh, the audio stuff. Um, yeah, so how did you know? Kind of how did you get into the goofing around with the audio stuff? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I was super into music as a child um, and as a, as a teenager. And I was, I grew up in a really small town in Wisconsin. And it was one of those towns where like the adults all say it's a great place to raise kids, but the kids just kind of think it's boring. Um, and <laughs> on top of that, I was, a, I was, I was a nerdy kid. And so, you know, I wasn't, um, you know, I didn't always feel like the sort of typical mainstream, you know, sports and that kind of stuff were, were quite right for me. So I had to make my own fun a lot of times. And so got into a lot of the typical nerdy kid activities, including, um, playing music. And, uh, as that, as I got older, that, that sort of blended with my, my more techie side and started getting into music production and engineering. And, and that sort of hit a peak when I was in college and I played in a couple of bands and uh, recorded and produced and and performed on a couple of um, recordings and and then I just sort of dropped it. It was uh, in my in my mid twenties. I moved to Chicago and my uh, I was getting really into my work as a designer and writer for technology companies and living in a small apartment and and just it just wasn't you know it was sort of a combination of like the spark wasn't there and it wasn't practical to continue to play and record music so just sort of let it slip away but these last couple of years have been really fun for for a number of reasons but including the fact that I've been doing a lot of podcast interviews like this one. I'm working on my own podcast. It's a, a scripted show uh, called Make Time. And now that all of us are stuck at home and trying to find ways to collaborate and stay in touch and meaningfully connect from afar, um, I'm finding those those audio skills and those video skills to uh, really be coming in handy again. Yeah, Absolutely. It does seem like, well, you know, obviously podcasting and the podcast industry seem to be going through a renaissance and, you know, podcasts have been around forever, right? Almost. <laughs> I actually worked at, so when I <laughs> lived in Chicago and I worked at this company called Feedburner, it was a tech startup that um, took RSS feeds that were published by any type of online publisher and kind of um, took that content and would would push it out into different news aggregators or email newsletter services or a bunch of different things. Um, and we were one of the very first services to 
um, that you could use to create a podcast. So back in 2005, um, when I started working there, we had some of the, the literally the very first podcasts, um, running through our platform. And that was, uh, that was, that was even before Apple had their, like before iTunes supported podcasting. So if you imagine a world of podcasting pre iTunes, um, that was, that was that world back in the early two thousands. And so, yeah, I guess by, by standards of digital technology, podcasts have been around forever, but you're absolutely right. I mean, the, it, it, it's cool right now because it's, it's such a renaissance and it's such a period of growth. But when I talk to people who are in the industry, they also feel like it's just beginning. You know, if you look at the, the numbers of people who listen to podcasts, uh, relative to, numbers of people who listen to radio or watch TV or whatever, there's a long way to run with this. So it's, uh, it's pretty exciting to see it, um, see it all happening right now. Yeah, it really is. And, um, it's cool to hear that you are utilizing podcast for, you know, turning the book, make time, how to focus on what matters every day into something that we can, get into our ears. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's something, there's a confluence there, I think, between what you preach, um, in the book, which is fantastic, by the way, I've been enjoying it very much and actually enjoying the audiobook very much. So oh, cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you have a natural poor, of course you did the, the audio yourself. So that must've been fun to get into the studio with your, uh, co-author and, uh, yeah. Yeah. That was super fun. We, um, Jake and I wrote a, another book together that came out in 2016 called Sprint. And that's all about this five-day design sprint process that we created while we yeah. were working at Google Ventures. And uh, we, we like, when we were working on that book, that was the first book either of us had written. Um, and when we were working on that, like one day we got an email that was from our publisher it was like great news. We hired this actor to record the audiobook. Uh, it's going to be done in a couple of weeks. We're like, wait a second. Like, that's what was it? Was there an option for us to do it ourselves? <laughs> yeah. um, and so then a couple of years later, when we were working on Make Time, we we kind of made that a, a thing. You know, we we sort of um, I don't know. I don't want to say we stipulated. We 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 uh, requested that we be available to do the the audio book and, and yeah, it was super fun to, um, the, uh, both of us being together in the studio at the same time, just like sort of delivering the message in a different way. And, and so now that's, that's kind of what I'm doing again and again. And, and one of the big lessons for me over the last couple of years is that everybody processes information and everybody learns and everybody changes their behaviors in in different ways. And as much as I love writing, and as much as I've enjoyed um, writing the the books and doing that, in, you know, in sort of that typical nonfiction, you know, kind of narrative nonfiction self help type format, that's not the right format for everybody. You know, that is like a that's a format that works for a lot of people, but even people who have read the book and said, Oh, I love the book. They've come back to us months later or years later and said, you know, I I read it in the first couple weeks were awesome. I made all these changes to my daily routine. I felt, I felt great. And then it all just sort of slipped back 
to the way it was before. Everything kind yeah. of reverted to that old normal. And so hearing those stories again and again really inspired me to think about other ways to bring those ideas to people. And so doing that through through audio, through storytelling, through teaching, through training, through um, even through tools. You know, we're, we've been working for a very long time on, a, on an app, a make time app, mm-hmm. um, as well as uh, other resources and, and just sort of understanding that, you know, the, the goal is to help people kind of reset those defaults of how they spend time every day so that mm-hmm. they can focus on what's important to them. But the book is really just one piece of how to accomplish that goal. Yeah, yeah. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash the writer files for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash the writer files. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. Well, let's talk a little bit about kind of the, you know, you mentioned your first best-selling book, which is sprint how to solve big problems and test new ideas in just five days and then you talk about how you know if you go back a little bit how you came to uh make time in this kind of unique way you know how how you came up with these tactics for now kind of you know we're all faced with this cult of busyness and and especially right now trying to figure out ways to manage our time better now that many of us are uh, working at home and everybody's home, right? The whole family's there and we're all stuck together yeah, in this, and in we're this like, limited amount of space or, you know, and you're, ha- right. you're definitely having to architect some of that, right? You're, we're definitely having to um, come back to the fundamentals about what you talk about and make time, I think, important, especially right now. But yeah, talk about kind of and go back a little bit talk about how you came to this 
this uh, system and these steps and why it's especially, especially timely? Sure. So I mentioned briefly working at that, that tech startup in Chicago, the one where we had, uh, you know, been involved in some of the earliest podcasts. And that was kind of my first real job. You know, I had been doing other, other stuff, working for myself and working on music projects and things like that. But that was my first like real job where I went to an office every day, uh, full time. And, and, you know, of course I had to figure out how to do the job. I had to figure out how to do the technical and domain specific things that were expected of me. But I also had to figure out how to manage my time and how to get done the things that needed to get done when they needed to get done. And, and workplaces are structured to varying degrees. Uh, you know, some, some people really struggle because they have the sense that they, you know, they go into the office or they used to go into the office and one day will again. Um, but, but they go into the office and the whole day is kind of set up for them. You know, it's like meeting after meeting after meeting, got these little scraps of time left over where you try to squeeze in work or catch up on email or whatever, but the whole day just kind of blurs by. And, and, and that's kind of the, you know, one end extreme end of the spectrum. But the other end of the spectrum is sort of what I found working at a startup, you know, which is very small um, and doesn't have all those structures in place. So I had gone from, you know, being in school and then and then working by myself. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, I'm in this this company where where the founders of the company who had hired me were like, all right, like do your thing. And I was like, oh, oh my <laughs> God, I have to figure out like not only how to do it, but like how to structure my time so that I can do it. And so in in an effort to try to make the most of that opportunity, I turned to productivity optimization, you know, sort of the, the mainstream ideas around, you know, having a to-do list that's properly organized and categorized and tagged with estimates and, you know, having uh, systems like Inbox Zero for replying to emails quickly <laughs> and um, filing systems. Uh, there was this great productivity blog back in those days called 43 Folders, and it was based on this hmm. specific filing system where you literally had 43 different paper folders that you would, and I don't even remember how it worked, but it was somehow it was date based. And so you would put things in a folder so that then when that date came around, you would, you wouldn't have to remember it because it would be there for you. And so, you know, as I was into all these things and, and they worked okay for me, but, but a couple years later, the company I was working for, we were acquired by Google. And uh, so now I was a designer at Google and I was trying to do the same kinds of work I had been doing at the startup, but I sort of watched in this almost out-of-body experience as my time became more and more dominated by going to meetings and answering emails and dealing with kind of the the bureaucracy of a big company, which yeah. Google is and, and even was in those days. This was back in 2007. And so the the only solution that I could think of was to lean further into this productivity uh, optimization uh, sort of obsession that I had and try to get more efficient and try to get more productive. And I started to feel like the wheels were coming off, you know, mm. or to, to switch metaphors, kind of feel like I was, you know, I was a hamster running in a wheel and, and the, <laughs> the, the, the wheel was just spinning faster and faster and there's smoke is starting to come out of the axle. And, uh, and I realized that 
in my pursuit of productivity, I had gotten really, really good at reacting. So when an email came in, I was on it. When I was invited to a meeting, I was there. I was prepared. When somebody asked me for something, I was ready to do it for them. But it didn't leave a lot of time for the work that was really at the core of what mattered about my job. You know, my job was to design software products. And I didn't have a lot of time for that, um, not to mention the stuff that I wanted to be doing outside of work in my personal life, playing music or um, you know, working on, on projects at home, being involved in my community, spending time with my, my wife and, and, and my good friends. Um, and so, you know, kind of, kind of developed this dissatisfaction with the conventional thinking around productivity. And a few years later, I was still working at Google, but I had switched jobs and I was now working at Google Ventures, which is a venture capital firm funded by Google. And I had this really, really interesting job there, which is that after we made an investment, I would go inside the companies that we invested in and I would work with them as sort of a consultant and just kind of help them using my background as a designer, as a writer to achieve whatever goals they had, launching new products, new marketing campaigns, whatever it might be. And, um, and this was, this was a really cool opportunity because suddenly I got to, suddenly I had this laboratory where I could go into different companies and I could sort of observe how they spent time and, and then I could see that they, they, they were struggling in the same ways that I had. They were, you know, this was not a personal problem. This was not a, a personal failure on my part. This was just kind of the way it was from company to company to company. Everybody struggled with this sense that their time somehow got away from them. And, um, and so not only could I see this, but I also had a chance to experiment with it. And so this is where I met my, um, my co-author and now good friend, Jake Knapp and, we began running these design sprints together. So we would bring a team together to focus on solutions to a specific challenge or opportunity that they had. And we would structure their time in a very rigorous way. And we would we would kind of wipe away the typical defaults of, of business as usual and how they typically spent time and put into place this new sort of checklist, this recipe. And we got to basically use these companies as our test bed for different ways of thinking about time. And eventually after having a lot of success with that, we started to to wonder if we could extend that same philosophy and that same kind of thinking to everyday life. You know, like what happens in the days between these big projects? You know, what happens when you're not, you know, bringing the team together for some exciting new thing, but it's just a normal Tuesday and you're in the office and you've got stuff to do and you don't want to feel like you're, you're wasting that entire day reacting and you don't want to feel like you're just an, an email processing robot. You know, you want to feel like you're spending your time in ways that really matter. And so the lessons from running all those design sprints became the, the basis for make time, which is this, this framework that we have that's, in our book and in our all the other work we do that that really gives people kind of a template for how to structure their time around the things that matter most to them every day. Yeah. Well, I love your mission and uh, you know, helping people make time for what matters. Obviously, we're all trying to to solve some of these equations in our everyday lives and and you know, as as we mentioned, it's just this time of uncertainty about our future, the future of work and kind of you know, we're looking at this potential future of 
you know, much more WFH <laughs> army kind of, uh, yeah. of, of people that are all hunting for, for bandwidth and, and time and energy. So, you know, you talk a lot about in, the, in this process that you all came up with, you know, these, these steps of kind of, uh, you know, obviously highlighting um, and s- scheduling and blocking out time to, to do the things mm-hmm. that, that are most important. And then, uh, you know, some of this laser focus of what, you know, we're, we're talking about really <laughs> ditching, ditching some of these incredibly distracting yeah. uh, stimuli that we, we all have in our pockets all the time what you call infinity pools, right? And it's so hard yeah. not to look at the news right now. It's hard not to yeah. look at cable news. It's hard not to look at your headlines. It's hard um, to look away. So, you know, yeah. I mean, from that perspective, it's like finding and reclaiming that energy, I think is probably more important than ever right now. But how do we balance, <laughs> you know, staying uh, and in tune and in touch because, you know, we are such a social culture. It's like, we don't have the water cooler anymore, but at the same time, that's kind of a really outdated concept, like handshakes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is something that I have really thought a lot about. Um, in addition to everything else we, we talked about, I, I actually studied journalism. And so my first, my first jobs were actually at a newspaper, um, and so, you know, I, I kind of, I, I've always had this affinity for the news and this, this sense that I ought to know what's going on in the world. And a lot of people, they have that too, but, but you're right that, that right now it is more challenging than it's ever been to have a relationship with, with the news and more broadly with, with all the sort of updates on our world that serves us, you know, that, that is healthy, that is sustainable, that does the things that we want it to do. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I tend to think that, that people, that there are two sort of genuine and, and generous reasons that people follow the news. And I think one is, um, is practical, you know, people want to know about stuff that's going on that's going to affect them. And that, and that is very real right now. You know, the day-to-day um, things are changing in terms of travel restrictions and, and school closures and event cancellations. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a very real need to pay attention so that you know about things that have changed that will affect what you do day-to-day. So, and so that's, you know, that's more important than ever. The other reason that I think people want to follow the news is is from a place of compassion and and from a place of caring about what's happening to others. You know, there's it's 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 a cliche to say well humans are social animals, you know, and and, and that is but even though it's a cliche, that is very very true at like a physiological level. Like there are different things that happen in our brains when we um, talk to other humans, when we read about other humans, when we hear stories about other humans. And so those things are very real. And so I think, you know, I think we want to know what's going on in the world. We, we truly 
care. Not from it's not from a place of Schadenfreude or or from um, you know morbid fascination. It's like we deeply care. Like what's going on in Italy? What's going on in Iran? What's going on in New York? Whatever. Um, what's going on in a place that's different from where I am? And and so I think I think those are the two categories that that matter: the practical and and the compassionate. And we mm-hmm. ought to. We ought to embrace those. I think that there's another category or maybe more than one category of news consumption that really is just um, is is obligatory and it's manipulative in the sense that, you know, it's it's that icky feeling you get when you when you went to check something on your phone and half an hour later you realize you just (laughs) been you just been scrolling through Twitter. You know, it's like, yeah, it didn't it didn't satisfy some fundamental need that you had it. You just were, you were just getting your buttons pushed for like for a while. <laughs> um, and so, so, uh, you know, what I try to help people do is, is identify these things. So to be clear about them and to be, be aware of them and then make an intentional choice about how much time and energy they want to give to those things. And so mm-hmm. where I've ended up is, um, is doing one daily check of the local news, um, every day around lunchtime. And so that's kind of my practical exposure. So that's where I figure out, you know, what's actually going on in my community. What do I need to know about? And then every few days with kind of a bigger catch up on the weekend, reading some international and national news to, to sort of satisfy that compassionate side. Um, and then the rest of the time I'm not paying attention to the news or to social media at all, with the exception of of LinkedIn, um, which is, which is a place where I engage with a lot of, um, clients and potential clients and, and readers and things like that. The, the way that I stay off those things is, is to, um, take willpower out of the equation by creating barriers around them. So mm-hmm. I, I don't have any of those apps installed on my phone. I don't have any infinity pool apps on my phone. I use an app on my computer called freedom that actually blocks me from loading the New York times, for example, or CNN or whatever, um, yeah. uh, apart from certain times of the day, um, we don't have uh, we have a TV in our apartment, but it's in a back room. It's not in our main living space, um, and so it's really about creating friction so that you don't have to white knuckle it every day. You don't have to say, you know, I I know I shouldn't be reading the news all day, um, but then you do anyway. You know, I think I think it's going to be you're going to be most successful and most sustainable in making that change if you outsource discipline to kind of the structures and, and the systems that you have in place instead of trying to rely on your own will to, to make those decisions again and again. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I couldn't help but think about, you know, when you're talking about the cliche that humans are social animals and how true that is, um, you know, we're a storytelling culture, right? We kind of thrive on that storytelling piece and that's the most, you know, one of the most... I think influential and important pieces of what, what we do as human beings, but also yeah. it can be manipulated in ways, <laughs> um, you know, cause there's that neurobiological piece that, you know, or we have these mirror neurons that, that kind of suck us in, as you said, to these stories where we're getting our buttons pushed and we, we experience uh, outrage in this 24 hour <laughs> yep. outrage cycle. Yeah. And of course, um, you know, 
these infinity pools are designed to keep us clicking or to keep us um, engaged. If if the information was being presented to us in a, in a cold, you know, bullet point list of, of things that are going on of updates, we wouldn't find it nearly so compelling, but you're, you're exactly right when it's packaged as a story. And that's obviously, um, you know, that shows up both in, in the design of infinity pool apps, but it also shows up in, you know, in journalism, that's, you know, journalists tell stories and, and that's not a bad thing, but when it's wrapped in this structure of story, which is so, uh, so primal and so fundamental to who we are, you're right that it, it, it connects in a different way. It takes us out of the rational conscious processing of that information and it, and it switches into, um, something that we, you know, even though it's us doing it, it's our brains. It's it's like we don't really have control over it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I couldn't help but think as I was reading Make Time and looking at at um, these facets of you know just the techniques that you know obviously from a writing standpoint, this is a great time to you know ratchet down and and utilize some better techniques to you know for instance write a novel. Yeah. You know, and I know you talk about kind of making time for these things that are that are most important to us. And I think probably a lot of listeners of this program are wondering, you know, like how to really, especially if they're working from home now, um, how, how to partition, how to, again, energize. I do love that you talk about, um, of course, you mentioned free, the Freedom app and lots of uh, renowned writers uh, use that technique to just unplug um, even if they're in a coffee shop, obviously coffee shops aren't, aren't, uh, probably open right now, but, um, yeah. to actually cutting off that connection to an infinite amount of distraction and to really, um, be able to focus and, and reclaim that energy. And, uh, yeah, I think what a great time right now to, um, yeah, utilize some of these some of these techniques to focus on that bigger piece of writing. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. You know, I think it needs to be balanced against the self-imposed expectations that, that may be unrealistic from a, from a mental health standpoint. You know, I think um, on the one hand, this is an exceptional opportunity to, work on some bigger projects and to be and and to produce things to create things that maybe we are unable to do in quote unquote normal life um but on the other hand this is you know even if you are not paying constant attention to the news and you're not you're not constantly checking social media this is still a challenging time in terms of our overall wellness you know this is a challenging time to stay sane <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. it's a tough time in terms of anxiety and uh and then you know you you touched on energize which is which is kind of our our name or our wrapper for all the things that we do to take care of ourselves so that we have energy to do those things that we that we care about yeah. um 
And, and a big component of that is, is your, your physical health. And it's, it's difficult to stay physically healthy when you are stuck at home and you can't go to the gym and you can't walk, you know, you don't, you're not walking to work if that's your routine or whatever it might be. You just don't have the same range of options that you had before. And, and so then that, uh, undercuts your ability to be, be mentally well. And so I guess what I'm, what I'm getting at here is, um, I think that to the extent people uh, feel like they are going to, that doing some big project like writing a novel, writing, you know, producing something long form, if that's going to help them um, actually be healthier and be better and, and give them something to, to pay attention to that, um, that is rooted in generosity and rooted in optimism instead of instead of the opposite, then I think that's that's great. But I also think that if um, if you've tried to get a project like that off the ground in the last couple of weeks, and you you've tried to adjust your schedule and and do all the things we're talking about, and it's not happening, mm-hmm. that you also shouldn't beat yourself up about it. You know, yeah. I, 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 this is no time for um, for for self imposed guilt around your lack of productivity because that uh, be, for all the reasons that I mentioned, but, but because um, those things are ultimately a function of the own, our, our own expectations. You know, if we feel disappointed, if we feel guilty that we're not doing enough, it's because of the expectations that we created for ourselves. And so I think, I think it's a balance. Um, but I think if you, if, if that's something, if, if working on a big project is something that feels right, and feels like it's going to be good for you and good for the world right now, then I think the stuff we talked about, I think uh, creating barriers around distraction is really important. I think um, taking care of yourself physically and mentally, um, and there's lots of ways to do that from the from the confines of your home, uh, from you know, short high-intensity workouts to guided meditation to um, y- you know, changing, you know, changing your, your, your diet as one of the one of the silver linings of this this time is that we we now have complete control um, over, I should say, a greater degree of control over what we're eating because we mm. kind of have to make most of our own food now, and so we're not stuck yeah. with the thing that we can grab in five minutes, you know, on our on our lunch break at work or whatever. Um, so we can start to make some changes to, you know, we can we can change defaults of what we eat by putting different foods in our pantry and in our refrigerator. Um, but then the, the, the final thing that I think, you know, can, can help support some of these bigger projects right now is creating a structure for yourself, creating a schedule or a routine. And that's, that's probably the single biggest thing that I've been having conversations about with, with readers and fans and friends is how, all of the old structures and routines are gone. Nope. The, you know, there's this this oft quoted line from from Annie Dillard from her book The Writing Life um, about how a schedule is like scaffolding for the day. And just as a, a painter can stand on the scaffolding and work with with both hands um, and, and you know make the most of that time, when we have a schedule for ourselves, when we have a structure that becomes scaffolding that we can stand on and we can work. We're free to focus. We're free to really make the most of that work that we're doing. And so um, when that, that scaffolding has been 
taken away from us. It's been knocked down. Um, this is actually a really cool opportunity to put up our own scaffolding to say, what is the structure of my my ideal day? And how does it incorporate all the things that matter to me? How does it incorporate taking care of my, my family? How does it incorporate um, feeding myself and exercising? How does it incorporate the work that I want to be doing in a way that is um, rewarding and also sustainable? And so um, I, I highly encourage people to to take a bit of time before the before the, the concrete uh, solidifies and hardens uh, into its forms. It takes some time to create some of your own structures so that you can you can shift into a new normal, a new set of defaults that are really structured around your priorities. Yeah, yeah, that's very important, I think. And as you mentioned, kind of um, being nice to yourself and not beating yourself up. Uh, you know, I do have to remind myself daily that, you know, it's like, especially someone with kids, like I'm not going to win any parent of the year awards. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, we're, again, we're, we're just rethinking all of these things. And I think that kind of goes back to your central ethos of, of rethinking the, those defaults, as you put it, of constant busyness and distraction. And, um, now probably, you know, is a great time to do that. And, and we're all just trying to figure out um, what to do moving forward. So we really appreciate you taking the time. So I, w- I will mention the book one more time before we wrap up with any advice you have to, uh, writers on just how to, how to keep going. Of course, the book is make time, how to focus on what matters every day. And it is not about crushing your to-do list, optimizing every hour or maximizing personal productivity, but it is about creating time for uh, your priorities by rethinking the defaults of constant business and distraction, as we mentioned. And uh, I love this quote from uh, this blurb from Charles Duhigg, um, who wrote uh, The Power of Habit, uh, an intrepid do-it-yourself guide to building smart habits that stick. And if you want to achieve more without going nuts, read this book. Great time <laughs> uh, to do it, I think. And uh, yeah, so... Um, you know, I, I had a couple other questions for you, but just briefly, like I just recently unsubscribed from Netflix because no one in my house was watching it. It was like, it's an infinite mm. amount of stuff. Right. But it was like, it was always, you, I, we, I just always find myself kind of like flipping through there and, and trying to find mm. something, but just wasting again, like a, a good half hour and not coming up, really coming up with anything. But <laughs> how do you, so, so if you're not watching Netflix at the end of the day, how are you, how are you unplugging? <laughs> So I, I personally do watch a little bit of TV. I watch some Netflix, um, but, uh, but my wife and I, we try to be really intentional about it. So like I mentioned, our TV is not in our main living space. It's in a back room and we, so we, we make dinner and we eat dinner usually out in our dining room. And then we, we have a conversation about if there's something we want to watch, um, and, uh, and, and so it's, it's a very, you know, it's kind of a time box to sort of specific, you know, Hey, let's go and watch an episode of, um, well, right now we're watching Schitt's Creek, uh, which, <laughs> yeah. which is hilarious. And so we'll say, Oh, let's, you know, let's watch two episodes of Schitt's Creek or, or whatever. Um, yeah. those, those are short episodes. So, so that, that is something that I'm doing. So I'm, you know, maybe that makes me a hypocrite, but, but, you know, I try to, uh, I try to be real about this stuff and not pretend that I'm perfect because right. I'm not. But, um, but I think that the biggest way that I've been trying to, to recharge and to maintain some perspective on all the changes 
that are going on right now is to build in a little bit of time for reflection every day. Um, so not let this time sort of float past in a blur, but, um, but, but stop every once in a while and look at what's going on. And that's actually one of the things we recommend in make time is to do a, a very simple daily reflection because, you know, it's funny we're we're used to being critical and analytical about our work. You know, we're used to doing, you know, sort of, sort of self uh, reviews, retrospectives, uh, you know, postmortems, you know, uh, edits, you know, all that stuff that's focused on our work. But when it comes to our time, which is our, you know, our only truly finite resource, we, we don't take that same attitude. And so I think it's, it's really helpful to spend a little bit of time just looking back on how you spent your time and what you did and what worked, what didn't work. Um, so I'm doing that, but then my wife and I have also started a, a little mini lockdown journal. So <laughs> it's a, it's on one of those tiny little, um, soft notebooks, you know, it's like, th- you know, mm. four inches by three inches or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know the brand, but, but so there's not a lot of space, but so every, at the end of the day, and we, we, sometimes we miss a day and we forget about it, but, but we're, we're trying to, to take a little bit of time and every day we're writing down, uh, what we ate. So we're writing down our menu. Uh, cause you know, like, like I mentioned, we're making all our food at home. Um, we write down what we did activities. We write down any changes that took place in the world. And then we write down a few things that we're grateful for. Um, and so that's been a really, that specific activity, but also kind of the overall mindset and, and strategy of, of reflection has been really good. Um, and, and I would encourage anybody listening, you know, as you're, as you're going through this, this crazy time and you're trying to figure out how to, how to do all the things you want to do, but also just, just stay on top of what needs to happen to make life work. Um, you know, don't let it fly by, you know, this is a, you know, this obviously nobody, None of us would have wished for this, but this is this is a truly exceptional time mm. um, in the history of our of our world. Um, and so, you know, just just try to slow down a little bit. Try to spend a little bit of time looking back and reflecting. I like that. I think um, I think that's a great place to wrap up. I will point at um, all of the things in the show notes. Maketime.blog where you can find those tools that John uh, mentioned at the beginning of the show um, available over there and upcoming. We've got a podcast um, that we'll be looking for. Um, the make time podcast. Is that, is that the title of it or? I think so. Nice. Yeah. And then um, of course I will point at johnzaratsky.com. You can connect with Jay-Z over there. Not yeah. the, uh, not the hip hop artist. Right. Try not um, to be disappointed. <laughs> I love that shtick. Um, and then we've got, uh, I'll, I'll link to your Twitter, your LinkedIn. Is there anywhere else you want me to point at or you want to connect with listeners out there? Um, I think that's plenty of places. People are yeah, probably man. already there. You know, anybody who was going to reach out, they're probably like, forget it. It's too many. It's too <laughs> many URLs. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, well, we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Your precious you. resource, um, spending it with us for a minute. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think Ryder's going to get a lot out of this one and then we'll look for your book. I was going to make a joke here. Zen and the art of sailboat maintenance. Is that upcoming also? (laughs) No, but that's actually, 
That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> the philosophy of life uh, based on, on taking care of an old sailboat. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you don't know, John is also a sailor and uh, has spent some time on the high seas. So uh, in his boat called the pineapple. Yeah, that's right. And, and, right. and my wife and I together actually spent about 18 months traveling, living aboard our boat, sailing from San Francisco to Key West, Florida via the Panama Canal. Wow. And strangely, that experience prepared us well for, for the isolation um, that we're experiencing now. So we, yeah. we, when, we've, when it first became clear we were going to have to stay at home for a while, we literally got out. My wife got out her, her spreadsheet that she used to use when we were planning out uh, groceries, you know, what to buy, our yeah. provision list uh, for the boat. She's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> like, like, let's go back to these old routines that worked um, the last time we would sometimes go, go weeks without leaving home. So anyway, that's, that. a, that's a story for another time. All right. Well, come back and enlighten us again. We appreciate it, man. Well, yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Writer Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers out there find us. You can always leave a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm. And you can chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week.